Hello and welcome back to Freedom Machines with Freddy Dobbs. You join me? Well, you may be watching at a future date, but it's a Friday afternoon here and it has been a non-stop week because Monica and I have taken a decision to relocate from Belvedere in southeast London and our chosen destination is a tiny little Spanish island just off the west coast of Africa called Tenerife. So let me give you an overview about where we're at at the moment because right now I'm speaking to you looking out of the balcony in our apartment. It's a little bit of well, it looks a bit like a bomb's exploded because we're in the process of clearing out a few non-essential pieces. So over the past week, I've been selling a few bits and bobs of my biking gear, predominantly gear that's, for example, a little bit too big for me. I'm kind of in between medium and large jackets, so I've been selling a few large jackets that kind of dwarf me a bit too much. So it's a bit of a, a sight at the moment, but we're heading off in four weeks time today. So we're going to be leaving the UK, driving with the little Fiat 500, trailer attached, Bonneville on the back, and four weeks today we are driving down. It's, it's about, I think it's about 1500 miles directly south. Get on the ferry from Dover in the UK, ferry down to Calais in France, drive all the way down through to the south of France, then drive all the way down through the south of Spain and get to a little port called Huelva on the south coast of Spain where we'll get the ferry over to Tenerife and that ferry takes about 33 to 38 hours. So we're super excited, big changes and we just do you know what? We feel like we need a new challenge. We need a change of scenery and it's just so exciting. So contracts are signed to rent out this Belvedere Southeast London flat that we've owned for, I can't believe it, we've owned for and lived in for about seven years now. I don't know where time's gone, but the contract's been signed. And I really wanted to be speaking to you saying that Monica and I have also secured our Tenerife property. Monica is right now in the bedroom. I don't know what she's doing. She may be a bit heartbroken because we haven't yet secured it. We've been so close to about two properties, but just last minute, they keep falling through. Either, for example, the person renting it out wants to get a slightly higher price over December or this or that, or there's some problem, but we're ready to go. And I'm hoping next podcast I speak to, we will have locked in the Tenerife property. The thing with Tenerife is, for, for probably for non-Europeans who may not know about it, Tenerife is the place in Europe for genuine all-round warm weather. It's known as the, the island of eternal spring. And it's, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I really do think it probably is the only place in the EU where you get genuine year-round warmth. It can be December and it's still 25 degrees, January, February, still 25 degrees. We've spent seven months there in the winter before and I can absolutely vouch for it. This is the land of eternal spring. And the reason for that probably is that 
it's not really Europe. I mean, it is part of the EU, it's Spanish, but if you look at where it is on a map, it's so far down into Africa, really. It's right on the West Coast. So we're super excited. We're getting there, sold a bit of stuff, cleared out a whole load of stuff that I don't really need, and I'll just start getting this flat ready for the tenant. But before we go, we've got at least, at least one more really good UK trip, and that is... Haven't quite decided yet. We'll see when the weather suits. But Monica and I are going two up, down, well, I say down, directly west to Devon. And Devon is one of the absolute beauty spots of the UK. I've put the rear rack onto the Bonneville. So it's got a rear rack from Hepcombe Becker attached. I put that on a couple of days ago. And I just received something that I've really wanted for a long time. And it's something that so many people have been saying, Freddie, you have got to try this out. And it's Wingman of the Road. I think it's a British company. And what it is, is a, a motorcycle focused tent with a built-in sleeping bag and built-in mattress all in one and it all comes in this roll that you attach to your rear rack or if you're just going one up you can probably attach it to the rear seat but Monica, Monica and I are both going to be on the bike two panniers rear rack tent attached to the rear rack and we'll be going down to Devon this week coming up and I cannot wait to see what it's like doing a bit of camping down in one of the absolute beauty spots of the UK. Have a look at Wingman though because I've had a lot of people that were messaging me after I said I've got the Wingman tent here we go I'm going to be off to Devon. A lot of people said ah oh, Freddie I've been trying to buy this for a while but it's been sold out everywhere and it's true it has. I think even Wingman had to send me this tent from their, their French, I think they may have a French warehouse, from their French warehouse, ship it from France over to the UK because they've been so popular this year. They're pretty much completely out of stock. But I think, and don't hold me to it, but I think in September, they will be back in stock. So keep an eye out for them. They do it in two sizes, a goose and a toucan. I went for the goose and I hope I'm right with that. But something else, Wingman of the Road, they messaged me and they said, Freddie, when you get it, get the rock straps because that's the best thing to attach our tent to. And I guess this isn't just for Wingman of the Road. It's kind of a general tip, I guess, for attaching bits and bobs to your motorbike, whether it be a tent or some panniers or any type of roll type luggage and they're called rock straps rok straps i i think i got them off ebay and i think i paid 17 pounds basically they're just a really good simple way to attach things to your motorbike and they're better than bungee cords because the way they attach is with a traditional clip but they've just got a really clever and sensible way of attaching to your bike it's hard to explain but have a look at them because i think it's a little bit of game changing kit for me attaching bits to my bike that's rock straps r-o-k straps a lot of people are raving about them had a huge amount of messages from people saying freddie i've been using the these for years i can't believe you've never heard about them and actually i had someone uh, US Indian Scout rider and he said Freddie these are so tough I ran out of fuel on my Indian Scout and I was on a ride with uh, a friend who has a Harley 
and he attached a rock strap to the back of his Harley and then attached it to my Indian Scout and he towed me to a petrol station, Harley Davidson towing an Indian Scout with rock straps. That's how tough they are. And he sent me a video and I can vouch for it. You can tow a 230 kilogram or so, I can't remember the exact weight, 250 or so kilo. Indian Scout with rock straps. Incredible. And I move on to, someone said to me, Freddie, if you're looking, <coughs> if you're looking for a slightly left field cruiser that you may never have considered, have a look at the Motoguzzi California, because that is a cool and out there cruiser that no one really considers. So I had a look at these. And I'll be completely honest, I thought I wanted to show you these bikes, Moto Guzzi Californias, but it, it, do you know what? My eyes were opened by this. I went on to Bike Trader, which is the, the place I always start, and I thought, okay, let's have a look at these. Moto Guzzi V7 Cruises. And I was absolutely amazed. There were just, there were just no Moto Guzzis used motor goodsies available in the UK. I know I often have some Americans saying they're seriously rare, the motor goodsies. They're seriously rare. People, it's not that people don't buy them because they are good bikes. It's just that they're, they're rare bikes full stop. They do not sell in big numbers. So I went on to, to Bike Trader, Motor Goodsy California. There is one affordable Motor Goodsy California from 2003. Looks like a lovely bike. 1000 cc 2600 pounds great value looks brilliant but there's only one on bike trader at the moment uh, i can't speak for liability because my knowledge isn't good enough but apparently it's in tidy condition and that's with 15000 miles two and a half k so if you're looking for a left field cruiser and it really does look good this bike moto goodsy california two and a half thousand pounds that looks good but it got me thinking right okay there are almost no motor goodsies online available in the uk that they're just so niche but i did find the most popular model which is the v7 and this is the motor goodsie equivalent of the triumph bonneville there is a good buy here and that's a 2008 if you don't mind taking a little bit of a risk, right now on Bike Trader in the UK, there's a 2008 Moto Guzzi V7 for £2,700 with 34,000 miles on the clock. This does come with a but. This bike, described by the owner, it's a private seller. He said it's a uh, it's a runner, but it needs some work. Electrical fault in the fuel system. I would do her up myself, but I'm no longer based in the country. That's a good little buy. It's a stunning bike. If you fancy yourself doing a bit of electrical work, that is a really good shout. Or, or if you're not brave enough, enough like me to do the electrical work, have a look at this. This is tempting. There's there's a 2000, okay, here we go. There's a 2014 Moto Guzzi V7, all black. In my opinion, it's the best look in all black. These bikes look just as good as the Bonnevilles. It's got 8,100 miles on the clock. And bear in mind, this is the summer. This is when these bikes are the most expensive. But God, let me tell you, this bike looks 
It looks absolutely stunning. Private seller, best way to get a bargain on a motorbike. Serviced in April 2021 with two brand new tires, full service history, one owner, good condition, happy to answer any further questions. Recent MOT, £4,195. You can get that down to 4K, maybe even 3900 I've got no doubt at all, but that is a superb buy at that price. So bike I'd consider, I've never ridden a motor goods in my life, but I would definitely consider one of those. Um, Monica and I, moving on. We went, well, actually, it was our, one of our last days in over in the Ipswich area, and we went down to Walberswick, which is this just beautiful, beautiful seaside town. And we went for our last ride there, really enjoyed it, and it's the first ride where I, I got to test out the Sizap. And Sizap is, it's a motorcycle specific tracking and rider mate device no monthly costs you just buy it for 150 pounds or 180 euros they ship it worldwide no monthly cost anywhere worldwide so you just pay that price fit the sysap tracking and rider mate device attach it to your motorcycle battery and then just download the app to your phone there's no key fob or anything like that is it is as simple as you can get it took me two minutes to set up and it is really nice having that peace of mind <coughs> everywhere for example i'm on my phone now going onto the app and i can see exactly where my bike is i can see that it's tucked up downstairs and that no one has touched it i can also see my last route that i did and i can save the exact route that i did and share it with friends loads of cool stuff to do first tracker i have ever owned in my life and mm, i like the feeling of it it's really good it's really good knowing that if anyone touches my bike i get a, a warning a pop-up through the app or through text whatever i choose uh, and they'll say freddie someone's just touched your bike it's or someone's moved your bike or this or that it's a really nice peace of mind bit of gear to have we've actually got if you go onto sizzap website s-i-z-z-a-p-p sizzap go onto the website use code freddie and you will get 10 percent discount for the next nine days or so and when we we're in warberswick this beautiful little english seaside town I saw something that you just don't see anymore. I used to always see these. It's just, it was one of my dream cars. I'm kind of moving off topic from bikes a bit. Peugeot 205 GTI 1.9. I had so many people messaging me that either, you know, I've had this bike or like that was always my dream bike. And I remember when these bikes were 700, these bikes, I remember when these cars were 700 pounds. They were always about 200 pounds out of my budget. And I was talking to Monica and Monica said, how much do you think these are now? And I said, ah, they're probably about 5K or so. Went online, 15 to 16K. And it got me thinking, what type of motorbikes, what type of motorbikes are there that potentially could hit hit the levels of these of these hot hatches these hot hatch cars from the 80s and 90s that what used to be they used to be just everywhere you used to see them everywhere dirt cheap and and now just suddenly they, they've gone through the roof i'm talking about the Vauxhall novas or opal novas in in europe 
um, the Ford Fiesta XR2i CRS turbos, the, the Renault turbos 1.4s, all of these, what type of motorbikes are there that have the same kind of cult following and have the same kind of appreciation as these superstar hot hatches from the 80s and 90s. I would love to know. Please do share your thoughts on this. I would be so keen to know what bikes you see as either future classics or they're, they're gaining popularity that they're going to you know explode in value. Please, please, please let me know. My email is dob.bs at outlook.com. I am incredibly keen to hear your thoughts on these uh, but kind of moving on from that actually I had I had someone messaging me saying I'm currently building a 1979 Honda CB650Z cafe racer nearly done but I'm worried about the ULEZ that is the this London ultra low emission zone where you have to pay x amount of money just to ride an older polluting vehicle into London and it's getting stricter and stricter and this zone is expanding and expanding and basically in essence what it means any motorbike built before 2008 and you're going to have to pay £12.50 a day so the, uh, the the guy building this cool cafe racer bike said like you know I'm freaking out a bit you know are these are these classic motorbikes going to be holding their value or am i on to a bit of a loser with you know with with these classic bikes and the same goes for these cars like the peugeot 205 gtis so i started having a look at these classic bikes they hold their value well. I was looking at the Honda CXs and things like that, these classic Hondas. You know, obviously you've got the BMW R100s, things like that. They are still going for big money, so I really don't think it's a problem. I know things are getting tighter. For example, with all of these regulations and things in the cities, but I genuinely, just from doing some research online now and just seeing what these forums are like, people buying and selling and building these classic bikes, I think there will always be a very, very strong market for classic motorbikes. Yeah, you may not get the London buyers because of these regulations, but that's only in the big cities. And there's an argument to say that well, certainly for driving, driving in the big cities is so unpleasant now. The only place you really want to use it is out of the city. So I think the residual values are going to be very, very strong. Certainly looking at the likes of the BMW R100s, the Honda CXs, they're holding their value brilliantly. You know, if you're looking at a Honda CX or something, you're looking at absolute minimum four and a half K, something like that. That's a minimum. I think you're not going to have any issue at all with owning or buying an older motorbike. They'll always hold the value well. And they're just, they really do. They turn into a piece of art. You know, there's something that you can push into your your living room or something, if you're lucky enough to live somewhere big enough and just keep there as a little piece of art. And I was thinking about this, not just, not just for kind of cafe racer style bikes, but I, I was thinking, okay, what motorbikes are there that kind of fit this bill? The kind of motorbikes that were the hero bike, because you know when you were younger, if you're like me and you're, you're into cars initially and then you move on to bikes, 
What motorbike was it that was seen as the ultimate bike? It was seen as the bike that you would put on your bedroom wall and it was the bike that you would talk about as being the ultimate bike. And what bike is that that could potentially go up in value? And the first bike that came into my mind was the Suzuki Hayabusa. This bike is, if not the first, one of the very first ultra ultra performance what would we call them sports tours i guess have a look at them if you don't know it's a massive 1.3 liter suzuki huge plastic fairings looks just like a spaceship this bike and i thought let's have a look at the prices of these higher boosters i think they came out in about 90 maybe even the mid 90s something like that actually i'm looking here online maybe even maybe mid to late 90s so I thought I have a look at prices of these because I do remember when they're about you could pick one up for about two and a half k so cheapest Hayabusa right now the cheapest one I can find on bike trader is three and a half thousand pounds for 1999 Hayabusa these have completely stopped dropping in value and I actually think now they may be starting to climb up in value because these I think could be a potential future classic. That's the Suzuki Hayabusa, three and a half thousand pounds for the cheapest, the cheapest Suzuki Hayabusa on Bike Trader, and that's for a 1999 model. And remember those figures because I'm going to tell you something else interesting now. Now this is this is a lesser known bike. Who's heard of the Honda CBR 1100XX? In other words, the Honda Blackbird, the Super Blackbird. This was, this was possibly actually the first super high-performance sports tour, but is a lesser-known version or a lesser-known Honda variant compared to the Hayabusa. The, the Hayabusa is the one that everyone would have had on their bedroom walls relatively speaking but the blackbird it went under the radar a bit and listen to the difference in prices because it did go under the radar it, it didn't get that it just wasn't the kind of bike that that everyone you know got got everyone's interest the Hayabusa was completely out there with the styling the 1.3 liter engine this is a slightly smaller engine and it didn't have that ridiculously aggressive styling so listen to this whereas the cheapest the cheapest Hayabusa is 3.5k. The cheapest, 1998, so pretty much same year, similar mileage. The cheapest Blackbird is £1,900. Almost half the price of the similar, similar age and similar type of bikes. Almost half the price you get for the Blackbird. So if we're talking about future classics, you need to be looking at something that kind of grabs that attention and grabs the interest of people from a certain era. And I think the Hayabusa could be that because I remember, I remember when I was learning to ride or when I was a bit younger, it sounds ridiculous, I don't even know if this is funny, but all of my friends and I, when we were learning to ride and stuff, we'd be like, oh yeah, what, what's gonna be your first bike, something sensible? And then, then I'd be like, oh yeah, probably look at a Hayabusa or something like that. And then an awkward silence says you have to explain that that's a joke because it's such a ridiculously scary bike. No one surely would buy it as a first bike, but that's what makes it so cool. It was so insanely, ridiculously powerful. 
Okay, so uh, I had an interesting one here, actually. This was the same question from the guy who's building the classic Honda. If I were to go for a, a fairly a cool bike, but it's got to be a bike that you can commute around London on, what would you recommend? A Moto Guzzi V7 at £8,000, a BMW R9T Pure at £10,900, or an Indian Scout Bobber at £12,500. Now, I've been lucky enough to ride two of these. The only one I haven't ridden is the Moto Guzzi V7. I'm just, I'm desperate to ride that, but I never have. And I can definitely vouch that, and this may surprise you, they're, they're both perfectly good commuter bikes, a BMW and Indian, but I actually think the Indian Scout Bobber is a significantly easier and more relaxing commuter bike than the BMW because the BMW just feels a little bit more aggressive. And when you're constantly changing, stopping and starting in traffic, the fact that it feels a bit more aggressive, a little bit more weight on your wrists, and also that the weight's higher up on the R9T, meaning that maneuvering, reversing, just getting back in and out of traffic to find a gap in London, it does make it significantly more tiring. So I would say that the Scout Bobber is the better bike for ripping around the city. But I actually recommended the Moto Guzzi V7 as the one I'd go for. Very funny as I've never ridden it, but I can just imagine that being a really good easy bike to live with with just the perfect amount of power that's a great shout at 8k and look at the price difference i know you get more with the other two and i'm still a huge fan of all three but as a really cool good value bike that motor good cv7 makes a lot a lot of sense if you're if you're the owner of a scrambler bike Take a note here because I've got a good little bit of advice and this advice has been echoed by quite a few scrambler and off-road riders. It's the, the kind of advice that's often hard to find online so I thought I'd save this because someone sent me over a message and they said um, the best tyres for these kind of not super serious off-road bikes, scramblers and things like that. The best tires for these, if you want to do a little bit of off-roading and the best tires that can handle, genuinely handle a bit of off-roading as well as being okay on the road are the TKC80s, TKC80s or Metzeler Caroos. So remember those two names. I thought I'd share that if you're looking for uh, a kind of a dual sport tyre, a tyre for your, your scrambler bike that works well on and off-road, TKC80s or Metzeler Caroos. On to biking gear and on to a company that I, I'll be completely honest, I've never tested any of their gear before and that's a company called Bullet, Bullet Jeans. And I had a tip-off from someone who said, Freddie, have a look. I've just bought a pair of bullet jeans for £89, and they're very good. And I'll just see if I can find these now. They're, apparently, they're currently on offer at £90. I'm looking at the website now, and if you buy dire directly off the website, they start at about £140, which is good value, but apparently they're coming in at £90 on a sale. And actually, these look very good. They do them in slim and skinny fit as well. 
double a rated jeans really good looking jeans keep an eye out for that bullet jeans good value nice fit and apparently they're currently on sale so i'll have a look at those as well that looks really good uh, when i was fitting i don't know if this is kind of common knowledge or if i'm just being a bit thick but i was fitting my tracker to the bonneville and to fit it, I just had to loosen. Well, I had to loosen, but I decided to completely take off everything for, for no good reason. I took off and unscrewed the terminals of the battery, and then I put the tracker, connected it to each terminal. And I, I always forget, do you attach the red or the black, the live, yada, yada? What do you do first? I always forget. Uh, and someone kindly messaged me and said, Freddie, and here goes, I'll read this to you. This is what he said. Always disconnect the negative terminal before the positive and put the positive back on first. If you don't do this and you drop anything metallic, such as a screwdriver, across the positive and the frame. So, for example, if you're messing around with a screwdriver and you cross it, you will short out the battery to the frame. That was news to me, so I thought I'd share that because I must have been so, so close to shorting it out so many times. And I recommended something. This would have been two YouTube videos ago. I recommended uh, a small number plate, for example. In the UK, we will, we as riders, when we get a bike, it will come this gigantic plastic number plate that doesn't look good. And what a, what a lot of UK riders do is go straight onto eBay, spend £12 and get, for example, with mine, a 7 times 5 size aluminium small number plate. They're classed as show plates because they are not legal. And I said on my YouTube video, I've been using these for the best part of 10 years or so, and I've never, ever had any problems. Even when I was pulled over by a policeman with a handheld gun and caught speeding, they had no issue with my number plate being of a small and technically illegal size. And I've never had an issue at all. And I had a few people messaging me saying, Freddie, look, uh, it may well be actually because you've got, you know, a nice a casual non-aggressive bike that uh, the police don't see you as doing 150 miles an hour on the motorway and trying to hide your number plate from cameras for example uh, and someone said freddie just be a bit careful because it may depend and i'm quoting here it may depend on where in the uk you ride regarding number plates over 60 riders were booked at white walls cafe in arundel last month or so for having undersized number plates and get ready for this because this will freak a lot of people out loud exhausts i kind of i never take that I never take that into consideration with exhausts everyone changes their, their exhaust on their motorbikes but of course there are in the uk in the eu very strict regulations with regards to exhaust note and if your exhaust is too loud on your motorbike you'll actually fail the mot you'll fail your yearly check for example i would class my exhaust on the bonneville which is an aftermarket exhaust i would class it as quiet but every year on my mot i get a minor and basically, if you get a major for the MOT, you fail. It's a major fail. But I get a minor every single MOT saying that my exhaust level, the sound level, is close to the legal maximum. 
so you do have to be careful. The, the exhaust limits of sound are actually a bit lower than you often think they would be. I was, this is so pathetic, I'm almost embarrassed to say it actually. I, two days ago, I gave my bike a clean, looped the chain and adjusted the chain for the first time in two and a half months. And that is so pathetic. My chain was so loose, I actually, I was getting people messaging me who could visibly see that my chain was loose. If I posted a pic on Insta or I did a YouTube video, people could actually physically see that the chain was loose. It was that pathetic. And it was just horrible to ride with the gear changes. And I could actually hear the chain bashing around as I was riding. So I finally got around to doing it. Uh, very easy job on the Bonneville. Lube the chain up. And I, what I do with my Bonneville to clean it. Because I live in a flat, I don't have a hose. I spray WD-40 or any kind of maintenance spray. Spray it all over the bike. Spray the whole bike underneath every orifice. Spray it, leave it for five minutes to soak in. And I always do this throughout the winter. I do it once a week. And in the summer, well, as you can tell, I get lazy. So I do it once every, in theory, once every two weeks, but this is two and a half months. And then I wipe it off and what happens is the bike comes up in a stunning shine. It's really good for cleaning. Bike comes up in a beautiful shine and it protects your bike just so well. It, it protects from, in the winter, rust and it protects from all the harm that the elements can do to your bike. I ride year round every single day of the year in a below minus one, minus two degrees, it doesn't matter. Grit on the road, the salt on the road in the winter, rain, torrential rain, leave it out in the rains every, every so often, every condition, and I've never, ever, ever had any new rust on any bikes since I've been doing this. It's my kind of one swear by thing that I always do with every single bike I own, just douse it in this maintenance spray. And then what happens is, when you're riding along after you've sprayed it, for the first 30 seconds, the bike will just go up in steam, just as it burns off the excess. It doesn't leave a bad residue uh, or kind of a nasty, greasy residue. It's just, a, for me, in my mind, in my eyes, it's a really, really good way to look after your bike and prevent it from any type of rust. It's, it works superbly, and it means you can ride you around without worrying at all. And I got something. Let me get my phone out. Here we go. I got something just before I started this podcast um, and I did not want to, to miss this out and tell you a lot about this because this, this is quite eye-opening. So the EU are going to require speed sensors in all cars from May 2022. The, the title shocked me and I'm going to just read the first couple of paragraphs of this. Have a listen to this. New cars sold in Europe after May 2022 will be required to have a variety of new safety technologies, including speed limiters and systems to monitor the driver's attention levels. The European Commission announced the rules on Tuesday, saying that intelligent speed limiters alone could reduce fatalities on European roads by 20%. The speed limit systems would use road sign recognition or data from navigation maps to warn the driver of the current speed limit and whether he or she is exceeding it. 
Such technology is actually offered on many new, new vehicles already, but the EU plans to make it standard on every car. Other technologies that would be required include systems to determine whether a driver is distracted or drowsy, automatic emergency braking, lane keep assist, backup cameras and improvement, etc, etc, etc. Wow. So they will very soon possibly be able to monitor the speed you're doing and make your car automatically make the adjustments to stick to the speed limit. Times are changing quickly and with the pickup of all this new technology, electric, uh, electric vehicles, electric cars, electric bikes, that is going to be a real change. I mean, now you see more and more these black boxes being fitted to vehicles um, that basically get your insurance premiums down, but you have to have a black box fitted. So if you're speeding, this black box will go ahead and ping off to your insurance company or whoever it may be that, oh, Jonathan's been speeding on the A20 or something like that. And then if you're, you crash or something like that, they'll be like, well, well, you're not getting any money because you were technically speeding, you were breaking the law. So things are changing and that's going to be interesting. And you know what, I've just gone a bit over, but I really want to say my last thing. So I'm going to make this as quickly as possible. And that is my bike of the week. Let me just get this up because this is something that I really wanted to say. I'm making this a bit longer than usual, but bear with me because I think this is quite eye-opening. A bike that you may never have heard of and a bike that has gone on the radar, at least in my book, the Yamaha SCR950. It's a bike that only came out a few years ago and it is Yamaha's take on a scrambler. It almost looks like a half scrambler, half cruiser kind of bike. It doesn't look like it's been the best seller. It doesn't look like it scores the best on reviews, for example, on MotorcycleNews.com. I think it got three out of five. But the owners have rated their ownership experience of it as four and a half out of five. And I don't think you should listen too much to a lot of the bike reviews. For example, if it's an ex racing motorcycle rider testing it, then of course, you know, he may not find it the right kind of bike for him. But these bikes look absolutely superb. They've got a 942cc engine. They started, I think they're about eight and a half to nine K brand new, but you can get one. Listen to this. If they're eight and a half to nine K brand new, you can get a second hand one from 2020 for 5,600 pounds. That is a gigantic saving. And these bikes look seriously cool. I would absolutely recommend if you're on the market for a new if you're on the market for a new or if you're on the market for a bike in general this is superb value they've come down in price a lot these bikes and i've seen one in the flesh once before from uh when i was out doing a run in london and i was really surprised at how cool these look they look very comfortable as well so that is the yamaha scr 950 take a look at that because prices have dropped a lot on these that's a great buy and there we go i'll leave that with you thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode and i will see you in the next one have a brilliant week all